Hey, what's up? What's up? Welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ohano. I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy and staying at home. And just a quick reminder that on Sunday, this Sunday, would be the last bonus episode of the season. We're going to talk about Honeyland um, as part of the 2019 retrospective where we talk about the films that were nominated alongside Parasite in its first anniversary of Oscar victory. So be sure to check that out. All right. So. Um, for this episode, we're going to talk about the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 55th Academy Awards. That film is Volver a Empezar. Um, I usually don't, I usually try to give the, I usually try to give like the English translation. Just to be clear first, um, it was nominated as Volver a Empezar, open close parenthesis, to begin again. That's the English translation given by the, um, in the, the nomination. But now it's more known as Begin the Begin. And Volvera Empezar literally translates to Starting Again. So to avoid confusion, I'm just going to go with its original title, Volvera Empezar. So that's the film co-written, produced, and directed by Jose Luis Garthi. So this was Spain's first win and 10th nomination. So for a quick recap, this film is about an, an author, a famous writer named Antonio Albahara, who arrives at his hometown. Um, he was in exile in the United States for 40 years. You know, he was a professor in the University of California, Berkeley. And then he went to Stockholm to receive the Nobel Prize for Literature. But we don't see any of those. We just see him arriving to his hometown revisiting his hometown and um, he meets with Elena, his first great love um, before the war of the 30s. And then we just see them bond through um, a few days before he returns to the United States. And he also has a secret that he carries around and he only tells his friend about that secret. I will tell that secret later, I promise. All right, so for that is Volver a Empezar. So our guest for this episode is from the Philippines. You already heard her in the 2002 episode where we talked about Nowhere in Africa and the films of that year, 2002. She's a filmmaker and a film colorist. I'm so happy to have her back. Please welcome Carla Manalo. Hi, Carla. Hi, Carlos. Thank you for inviting me again. Yes, of <laughs> course, of course. <laughs> I mean, I, I was really hoping to have you back since um, you know the, the, the first episode that we did. I did not mm -hmm. know that it would be in the same setup. You know that. <laughs> now I did not. I did not expect it would be also a last minute thing. <laughs> mm. I'm so sorry, but I'm so glad that you're so game every time I invite you. I'm so happy. Um, can you tell our listeners where can they find you on the internet? Okay, uh, you can search for me on Instagram. You can search for Carla Manalo or look for my um, handle uh, I Love Hughes. Hughes spelled as H U E S. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. I'll link it below in the episode description. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Carlos. All right. So, um, two things. 
first of all, this film, Volver a Empezar, is not a very well-known film in this category. Uh, number two, um, I did not know that I invited you without telling you which film <laughs> was the winner this year. So I just said, oh, can you watch these films? And I'm like, sure. And you just watched six films without knowing what the who the winner is. <laughs> yes. Which actually, so yeah. later on, when I got to finish the last one, that I wondered what was what was the what was the one I um. Okay. What the the? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <Carlos>. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, I've recovered. No, um, I, I, I just want to say that you know we, I did not intend that to happen. That you did not know what the winner is, but actually, I think that is a purer way. Of coming into this mm-hmm. film because you're just judging six films, you know, you don't mm-hmm. have this notion of like, oh, here's the winner. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that you have that experience because I didn't. Um, <laughs> and number two, you only knew the winner when I introduced the film a while ago, earlier yeah. in the show, and I saw your face change uh, when you said "Volver a Empezar." Your face changed. Can you tell me what happened? Why why is that your reaction? Um because I have no idea what was the winner in 1982. I was quite surprised and uh, uh I'm not sure if you I'm not sure if you can see from my face that I I was actually quite happy because I think um out of the bunch this one is my favorite. Mhm. <laughs> Uh, so why is it? But your... I, yeah. I, well, I didn't think that it would win this year because th- there were some films that would, um, I think they were ex- executed well and and I think they would have won the Academy during that year. I, I didn't expect because um, this one is quite simpler compared to others. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's go into that. Why did you? Why was this your favorite of this year? Oh. Um. Well. Mm, um. Are we going to discuss? Uh, we're going to discuss all the films, right? So Later. it's okay for okay. Um. Well, th- there's a there's just a general general observation for this bunch. I think um. They quite. They quite go along as a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a ongoing theme around here with all uh, with all the entries. Um, but I like this one because it's not it. Well, it's heavy, but it's not that heavy compared to the other mm-hmm. um films. But um, I like it that it was um executed simpler. Like the story, like the storyline is very simple compared to the others um the there is no conflict really and um you just like it's like a somehow a journey film but just the journey is at the end already but um it didn't make me want to concentrate really hard compared when i watch the other films but well i uh i think the 
it was made well as a film. Like uh, I like the I like the shots here. Like I think it's a very good cinematography. Uh, I like the score. Especially like especially the score. I I really like the score in this one. Like uh most of the scores actually sound familiar. I don't know why. Like I don't know if they were like um classical musics that were used, but they sound something like that. Um and I like the I like the pacing. I think I like, I like it. I like how it was made as a film. And I like it being simple compared to the other nominees. Yeah. Um I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, that music is a uh, I think the most memorable recognizable one is a Canon, Canon in D mm-hmm. by Johan Pachelbel. Um Ooh. it was played throughout the film. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, from the beginning until the end. Um, mm. Especially when he's alone, when the character is alone and just uh, staring out at the sea. So, yeah. like, um, I appreciate also how low key it is. Mm. It's very. Here's the thing. I'm. I'm. I'm jumping. I, this is 1982. I came back from 1983. 1983, mm. the winner was Fanny and Alexander, which is this. Uh, very this is colossal filmmaking by Ingmar Bergman and mm. now I go from that to here it's mm. a very simple film mm. just uh, very earnest very sincere mm. simple to a fault uh, mm. I would say um, mm. there is this no bullshit quality to it mm. um you kind of see the story bare bones, you know, just just mm-hmm. the story, and it's a very like a slice of life. There are no huge yeah. plot points that would push the narrative forward. Actually, this is just the film is so decided on just following the writer for these few days, mm-hmm. and in terms of the pacing, it 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 flows, it just yeah. flows, except for a yeah. few parts, which I would say later. Um, it just flows, and I think you know the film being a meditation, a reflection on um, the character, because the character is facing, I believe, two things. I, I mean, lots of things. Mm-hmm. Um, he's facing history, he's facing mm-hmm. death, he's facing mm-hmm. fame, and mm-hmm. I think those elements, among other things. Um, are distilled into this moment of quietness, you know, a reflection. Mm-mm. And I Mm-mm. think the film kind of captures that serenity in Mm-mm. reflecting. Um, I don't think the film went as deep as it could have been. Mm-mm. I I don't think it is. But Mm-mm. it is engaging enough to sustain the runtime and I don't know mm-hmm. if I I'm really interested in this film just because it's so hard to find <laughs> or <laughs> it has this calm that is actually mm-hmm. engaging to watch Mm-mm. yeah I, I think because it's actually a, something that would uh, I I like how the story started and ended um, I um 
I was not actually looking for depth. If if um, it feels like if I was the character or if I was the the writer or the director, I was just also thinking of of how would I want to spend the rest of my life if this is our the situation the situation. Um, I think uh um the character the characters are very somehow confused with with what to do in those circumstances but but um i think they pulled it they pulled it well like they they knew what the characters are like as an because he's an author i think it reflects why he decided to go back and um somehow uh like meeting his First love is uh, something romantic, but but I really like I really like that that the girl's character as well, Elena. Like, he she didn't try to ask for more, or I don't know. There there is um there is something regretful with the film, like uh with the characters, but they didn't show that. But the characters like they didn't really show how how the regrets affected them like I, I i don't know but they kind of um accepted their previous decisions in life as as something as well life and um and maybe that's that's what attracted me to this film <laughs> did you understand anyway <laughs> i think the film yes it does touch on those things and I don't I don't begrudge the film for sticking to just that because mm-hmm. um I think this film it knows what it wants to do. It wants to explore mm-hmm. the specific experience and mm-hmm. it does it efficiently. It's not the most mm-hmm. imaginative way to explore this specific mindset. I mean for mm-hmm. sh- for sure there there would be like way stories that are way more imaginative in handling this mm-hmm. i don't know its simplicity is an asset and a liability for me uh yeah, yeah because um i think there's potential for it to go further in terms mm-hmm. of its you know no not just the technical expertise because you know it's it's a it's it's as if you know we're just taking the film as, like, as a technical uh, achievement or whatever i mean Mm-hmm. We mostly go watch films that connect to us on a deeper level, you know. But mm-hmm. with this one, it seems to me that the film thinks it's deeper mm-hmm. than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, but I also yeah. don't think it's very pretentious. Mm-mm. I'm probably coming off of the experience of getting to watch this filmmaker, Jose Luis Garti, because mm-hmm. he was also nominated in 1984 and 1987. And I saw his films, you know, then. They're Ooh. all centered on either writers or storytellers as well, with lots of Ooh. conversations. Ooh. Um. I did not love those films. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I thought they were either pretentious or just uh, 
excruciatingly um, stretched out. This one, it has, it's the closest to the, it's the closest to my liking, but mm-hmm. I still don't think that it goes deep enough. For, yeah, as it should. I mm-hmm. think it just makes us understand enough. Like, all right, this is mm-hmm. where his state of mind is. But I don't think I'm getting, I'm knowing more mm-hmm. from this experience. And um, that is, I, I will attribute to the simplicity in the storytelling. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. I I think this is the kind of, this is this nature of film, you know, a person just walking and talking. I feel mm-hmm. like this is something that I want to make. Mm-mm. And there's <laughs> and I don't agree with people that uh, that two people just talking that's not cinematic. No, I think there are is it, it can be cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, people stuck inside a room just talking about their lives can be cinematic. Mm-mm. But this film, it doesn't feel lazy, but it also doesn't feel inspired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's well observed, you know, in its actual observations on this state of. Um, life, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere in between, yeah. Uh, also, the, the side characters actually quite entertained me. <laughs> like the the owner of the hotel. <laughs> I find I find his scenes funny, and it kind of break the like. I feel like this film is like uh um like. So uh, it's just like a line, a stagnant line, and yeah. it kind of break those scenes. Like, like when the king, well, when the king called and the owner was kind of so excited because the king called their hotel. I kind of uh, like how it breaks the film being like monotonous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the film does have that tendency to become monotonous. Um, mm-hmm. I think the most important side character i think we would agree is uh elena yeah because there are some i think there are some honest observations about regret and love and romance and mm. um looking back i don't know i think i i i, I this actress in Carna Paso, i think she's really good in mm. this film she might give easily my best the my favorite performance in this film just because and how mm. I don't know how sensitive that performance is. And the way the film handles that romance, I think is sensitive mm-hmm. enough for me. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most emotionally engaging part of the film because I, I'm i kind of at arm's length, you know, when it's just about the writer. Mm. The writer alone. Like the scene with um, a, an old friend, the one that, I think the professor, where, yeah. you know, he is given this dinner to mm. the universe, to the university. Uh, oh, I love going to our university. Anyway, <laughs> I just missed it. Um, and then you know they have a chat in his office, and then he shows uh, Antonio shows um, the professor the I think a, a note uh, a letter from the doctor saying that Mm-mm. he only has like six to eight months to live. Mm-mm. So and his medicine. Uh, so what irony is it that, you know, he's being celebrated as, oh, you know, he is this great talent and he's reaching his death. Yeah. But that doesn't 
pull me as strongly as when Antonio and Elena are together. Mm. Because I think there is this weird chemistry that works with the two of mm. them. With the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, their scenes uh, kind of remind me of um, before the before trilogy. When they went back to when they went back to uh, Antonio's old house and and her taking a picture like there's a lot of what could have been if if um well if Antonio didn't maybe succeed as a writer or didn't move out of their hometown but um Elena is still calm like she's a very calm character and and yeah I agree with you I really like her acting. Especially, I especially like it when, when her shots are in close-ups because I really like her eyes and how she stares at the character or the camera. Like it's very telling, but it's just her staring at the camera. Yeah, and yeah, and then Carnapaso has this thing of like, you know, we get actors that you know, we get actors that do a lot of great acting with their eyes. Mm. Um, but sometimes it's the kind of acting that we, you know, we see it happening. Mm. Like, for example, um, uh, Kate Blanchett is very good with her eyes. Mm. Uh, we're, we're gonna go in other countries. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> in our country, Nora Honor is very good with her eyes. Nora uh, But those are the kind of eye acting that, you know, we know it when it's happening. And we 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 crave for those moments. Oh, what is she doing? You know, mm. we follow her eyes. With Encarnapa, so it's very low key. It's also very subtle, but mm. you see, and the expressiveness in her eyes and mm. in her face, really, it's very very subtle. It never takes away from the serenity of the film. It's very mm. quiet performance that you know has a lot of things going on inside. Um, She is my favorite part of the film, and their relationship, you know, is the is is the love still there, or or you know that that part of the film I really loved, because aside from outside of that, I don't think the film works as well. Like you liked the hotel manager, I really did not mm. like that character. <laughs> I find him funny. <laughs> I mean, he's like the the well. Like the caricature character of the film, which uh, for uh, for me, I, I think it kind of distracts. And I think, you know, I I'm up for comic relief. I mean, that's me <laughs> in real life. But um, I don't know. Not with this one, <laughs> I think this is just um, it feels forced within the tone of the film, and the film decides to stop and focus on this character for like three minutes, five minutes. We don't... And like, mm. why are we following him? Yeah, that actually that was kind of confusing. Yeah. Those parts. I remember those parts. <laughs> I, I, I First, I, I actually thought like he'd kind of play a bigger role with Antonio's life. But in the end, oh, he's just the manager. But yeah, I still find him funny though. <laughs> I don't know. This, it was just—it was just a bothersome fil- a thing that the film did. Is mm-hmm. why are we focusing on him? 
You know, I, mm. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. I, I know when the film focuses on, because that's the weird thing. I don't think other characters have that advent that uh, screen time. I mean, for example, mm. um, Elena, and then Hervasio, and then Ro- Roxu, Carolina, Ernesto. All of the characters mm. have are appear in the film when they are with Antonio. Mm. I don't think any other actors appear um, independently from Antonio's storyline. From Antonio. And then we get maybe I got maybe one of the <laughs> maybe one of the people I mentioned is actually the the hotel manager. I'm sorry, but uh. um, the hotel manager character just has gets screen time. Outside of any communication from Antonio, mm. and I don't get it. <laughs> Aside from the film stretching humor and jokes, which mm. it, it, it for you it worked. I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of worked. But yeah, looking back now, it kind of um they couldn't have trimmed that down. Uh, well, not well they could. Not really delete, but they could have trimmed that down. Especially the the call. I find it really funny, but it was very long. Like they they still showed him the manager calling his wife after. Like, oh, guess who called me? Like they could have cut that down, but yeah, somehow it worked. <laughs> yeah, and also um, when he knows that uh the king called, suddenly he continues to like asks with the hotel. I think the bellboy. Buy lilies, buy this, buy that, buy it. Just yeah. went on. I'm like, I'm. I was trying to find like a, a meaning to it. Yeah. Um. That's just. I think that's for me. That is like the, the film's weird, weirder aspect. Like mm. it. It chooses to focus on things that I don't know why it focuses on. But other than that, mm. I think it's a well observed film. I will say mm. that. Mm. At first, it's endearing to hear Canon and D playing. It's a music mm-hmm. that fits almost anything. It can be a wedding. It can be a a, a homecoming. <laughs> it can be a romance. It fits. It fits everything. Mm-hmm. That is overused in this film. Mm-hmm. It, But I like yeah. how it is used. I well, maybe yeah. Actually, maybe it can work with almost anything. But I don't think it would work with just anything. Yeah. I think uh. It wouldn't work with some films, but yeah. I think it really fit this one. But yeah, maybe it might. Maybe it's overused. That's why it it sticked in my head. But I really like yeah. it. And I don't think it's a different rendition. I think it's the same track. Yeah, I just put. It I would have preferred. Um, um, you know, I don't mind motifs. You know that that's there is mm. a history of film that uses recurring themes in films. Mm. Modify it because it th- that specific <laughs> rendition doesn't fit every time. I know mm. Canon and D makes you feel things. It's it's a profound piece of music. We know that. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so used until today. Mm. But you can't just put that same track and same tempo and same <laughs> over and over scene. But you, the yeah. film is very monotonous, so I don't think they actually cared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> oh, but but, but uh, I like it. I like 
like it being used at some parts, especially yeah. when it's just like staring at the sea. Yeah. And that's why I actually like um uh the well uh, not not the whole cinematography, but some of the shots. I think they utilize the use of the um place where it was taken. Like you can really see how I kind of like how the character seems to seems to really um look at his place like he's really remembering his childhood by just like staring. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I like the use of place. I think yeah, I think the the film it 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 is the city of Gihon, I believe, the city of Gihon. Um you feel the love slash respect in the place mm. because the film puts a lot of time in just showing you city life yeah you know and it that one makes sense you know when it mm. goes away from antonio and we just see the city makes sense yeah because it's sense. about his homecoming and emotionally we're there yeah the maybe because <laughs> Well, also because maybe it's because of the pandemic and we're just, you know, always indoors that I kind of enjoyed looking at the series and enjoyed him and Elena um, going around places because uh, it feels like kind of um, traveling again and yeah. um, like enjoying the scenes you didn't get to enjoy. Yeah. We should <laughs> go that. back to our university And just Sometimes. walk around and just yeah, walk. I would very enjoy that. Yeah. Ah. Oh gosh, I do miss our university. Anyway, going back to the film. Anyway. <laughs> um. All right. Here's a uh, here's a weakness that I find. In as much as I think it's a it's a well observed film, mm. it's kind of weird that a, a dialogue driven films st- is stronger. In the scenes without dialogue. For me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. That's why my favorite scenes are the ones when he's just staring yeah. at at the sea or at the like all the sceneries, like when he's actually alone. Well, I like him with Elena, but I I really enjoy the scenes when he's just like, <laughs> yeah, staring out at space. And the scenes with Elena don't feel forced. Yeah. I Maybe mean, it's a testament also to the two actors. I mean, Encarna Paso and uh, Antonia Ferrandis. Uh, mm. It's a testament to them that they have this... I don't know if this is just old people being old people, but I feel <laughs> history. I, It kind of makes sense, like people being old people. Yeah. I, I, I felt the history between those two. And uh, I don't know, it's really touching when I see them, you know, in their... Mm. Um, I feel that the love is still there even, even before they kiss again mm. even before that you feel this like i don't know they're they're waiting for the right timing to show their love again and it's mm. showing in the smallest of gestures mm-hmm. um really have to pay attention to the gestures of this film because you know in, in a very simple film it's about people just talking gestures really matter and showing like where are they now uh, mm. emotionally in in a relationship mm-hmm. and uh I don't know. It's um. Anyway, the the latter part, like 
the ending part was kind of heartbreaking for me because Elena didn't know right about um Antonio's secret. Like she, she never learned know. about she it. Never knew so that. yeah. So that was kind of heartbreaking and when um when Antonio opened the gift that was from Elena right at the ending and like the note um I think uh, that's something I, I don't know I, I I'm not sure if I would kind of create for that kind of love because it's very heartbreaking but somehow it's very pure and still innocent after all these years but there's a lot of somehow you can feel that there's a lot of yeah what ifs or like um they could have spent the rest of the months together something like that but i think that would hurt elena so antonia decided to just like make her um 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 let her be happy like just go go stay um remember only the happy memories that like him going back to his town and enjoy the well yeah enjoy that last memory that they could yeah. have together yeah but yeah it's heartbreaking for me yeah and i think there's also something to to feel you know because this is antonio stopping by because again context um 1937 civil war he left the country mm-hmm. he went to the united mm-hmm. states mm-hmm. left elena mm-hmm. uh, and then You know, he wasn't even planning to go to Spain. You know, because he just mm-hmm. received the Nobel Prize, so he just stopped by. Yeah. And then he is gonna reignite this long lost love, and then just to leave her again, not just mm-hmm. because of going back to the United States, but because of death. That yeah. So, I think, you know, it, it it's in very small details of like, Antonio. I feel like. I don't know if you would agree with me on this, and I don't know because I've never been in a relationship. Um, <laughs> Same, he, yeah. <laughs> Woo, singles. <laughs> never again. Never again. <laughs> um, there is this quality to the way he approaches Elena, that yeah. he wants to be close to her, but he's not being totally open. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because he's trying to save Elena from another pain or saving mm. himself from another pain. Another pain. Yeah. Of leaving someone you love. Mm. And um I don't know. The, I'd shut up from now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but that, I think you know, that's yeah. the beauty with this kind of films. You get to experience love we didn't have in real life. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's oh, well, it's a well. This this is a tragic one, and um, we still have years compared to this couple. I think <laughs> to find our do we <laughs> do we in this pandemic do we. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay, maybe let's just keep on watching films like this. But yeah, there is uh, a lot of those t- small touching moments here and there. You know, their conversation. Mm. Um, 
I don't know, that trip to the birthplace was a very sweet moment. Mm-hmm. And when they went to this, like, um, place of, I think, you know, a place of, like, worship where they just prayed quietly. And then, mm-hmm. and then in the, I think, seaside, you know, with the mountains. Yeah. And, you know, when they kiss and they stay tonight in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of small aches that I feel, you know, with yeah. this because... Um, this is not anymore this ideal version of romance. You know, these people lived a life that goes beyond this and it's not going to be smooth sailing, but these are people that are just like, they're bound by their love that's still still um, standing, mm-hmm. you know, despite everything. And uh, But one is hiding something from another person and another person is trying to reach out. And how do they compromise? How do they manage those things? And how yeah. do you resist someone you love? How do you give in to someone you love? And mm-hmm. that's such a beautiful relationship that was depicted in the film. I wish the film stuck with that more. Mm-hmm. And it does, it does. It's. I think it's the mm-hmm. most important aspect of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and with mm-hmm. the airport, and the chat in the airport, that's something, mm-hmm. oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. You feel those things as well. That airport scene. I, I still remember Elena shot with like he's wear she's wearing this white I think it's a jacket and like <laughs> I remember her face because yeah. she acts so well and I really like her close-up shots. Yeah. <laughs> the film I don't know what I think I'm not sure if the mm, how do I compose this? Um, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I remember watching the like the airport scene, and they showed um the, the uh, they showed the plane getting mm-hmm. off, yeah. and um I was kind of nervous watching it, like thinking um would something happen yeah. with the plane? Like it's is it going to crash or something? That would be very tragic because it's a very long. They could have trimmed that down. I was waiting for it to crash. That would be very tragic. But that's... <laughs> I don't know. Because Anna was waiting there. I, I'm not sure what she's actually waiting for. Uh, maybe that's just me waiting yeah. for tragic things to happen. But that was a very long yeah. scene. Too good to be true. <laughs> um, that is one of the ironic things for this film is that you know it's short. I think it's well-paced. Mm. But I yeah. think we can still trim a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And um, but I do want to um, just go back to that opening scene. You know, before we see, uh, before we see uh, Antonio. Have you seen Midnight in Paris? No. Um. Because that film just starts with like, yeah, mid midnight in Paris. Yeah, Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years because... ago, before Woody Allen was canceled. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was still a student. Yeah, I can't watch his films now. I think yeah, I think we we yeah that was released in two thousand eleven. So I think we watched it around the same time. Um, yeah. You know that film is a manifestation of love for Paris, mm. yeah. and that film also starts with like five minutes of just Paris. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember loving it because yeah. I wanna see pirates one day. Like, like you know, get to experience the magic that everyone gets to experience when they're in Paris. Yeah. But yeah, I remember the beautiful open. Like, I don't know. I I remember it like it's something golden. I don't know. Yeah, it's very it. golden. The cinematography was. Very golden. Um, with yeah. Volver and Pizar, it's not as visually... Imp- it goes back. The film looks very simple. Um, yeah. But, but even before we see Antonio walking around, there yeah. is this... And with canon, of course. Canon indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is the celebratory feel. Just looking at the yeah. city. Which feels yeah. genuine. It's it's not forced. I think that's the best yeah. use of canon in this film, because Mm-mm. some of it's a hit or miss after that. Um, <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the ending? Because now we see, then we see him, it back in California, as yeah. a professor. The, this is uh, the ending was him sitting. Sitting alone, right? Looking at the scenery, getting his coffee and writing. That's the ending, right? No, it's in. It's when he goes to the university and we see the university life. Ah, like we. Oh, okay. Him teaching the students. And then we see this uh, wide shot from the university. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Oh. Uh, I think it it kind of distracted me the airport part because I really thought something tragic would have happened there. But how well it uh I think it worked for me that uh I I really felt that he left the place already like he settled with um just leaving Elena and his past like I really felt that and being kind of um being in the classroom kind of being um. Um, how do you, how do you explain it? Like I feel like he's kind of in a box again, and back to the life of being the the professor, teacher, and being famous. And um, uh, well, uh, I feel lonely about it, but um, it kind of worked. It kind of worked for me, and um, it really uh, I think it worked as an ending as well. Like we just. The whole film feels like just a glimpse of um, of a life he could have chosen. Like like knowing that he's going to die in a few months, he could have actually chosen um staying in Spain and not getting back. But he decided that uh, okay maybe this is just the this is just like um the last time I would um see home or like see or like um experience the life that I could have. But I have to be back here because this is really like my life and he decided to go back to that and um leave leave spain as something that's just somehow like a dream or something a, a happy memory and just goes back to his everyday life um i feel lonely <laughs> just thinking about it but yeah it, it kind of worked as an ending for me well because the film is monotonous like i don't think uh i don't know it it could have ended happier, but I don't think that would be the same film. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Um, with that ending, 
it, yeah, it, it it shows a contrast, and I think that contrast has been talked about as well. You know, when when the conversation with with the professor, mm. um, they, they they were talking about like, uh, should I just go or should I stay? And he was like, no, I I I, I have I have one semester. You know, yeah. I have one more semester to do. So, um, you know, that is, it's, it, it makes sense. Mm-mm. It also makes sense because I can see a version of the story that just, you know, doesn't leave Spain. But the Mm-mm. fact that we get to see his life outside of it, it kind of also grounds us yeah. to, you know, this reality that he already has. And, <laughs> yeah, of course, so when the first time we see San Francisco... It's with canon now with lyrics. So like, okay, we're not really dropping this thing. Oh goodness, but yeah. Um, I do want to say, it takes a while to get used to the dubbing. Hmm. It's a really didn't... bad dub, but yeah. it didn't bother me as I went along. Yeah, it didn't bother me that much. Maybe because it's in another language. I think it would have bothered me if it's I don't know, if it's in Filipino. Yeah. But it, yeah, well, it's in it's in another language, so I I don't know. I it didn't really bother me that much. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add to Volvera and Vida? Um, nothing else, I think. Maybe I'll just go back later if I have something to add on. Or, uh, well, there is something. But it's more of a general observation with the whole lineup. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Cuenta Ovidio que Júpiter, cansado del néctar y la ambrosía del Olimpo, y también un poco harto de escuchar a todas horas la lira de Orfeo, decidió darse un paseo por la tierra. Total, que tomó la apariencia de un pobre vagabundo y empezó a pedir asilo y comida en todas las casas que fue encontrando. Pero nada, nadie le atendió. Por fin... Llegó una humilde choza, la más pobre de las que había encontrado. Era de un matrimonio de edad avanzada. El matrimonio no solo le dio cobijo al dios, que no sabían que era un dios, claro, sino que puso ante él todo cuanto tenían. All right, so let's talk about how Volver a Empezar won the Oscar. It premiered in Spain in March 1, and it premiered in the United States in April 1983. This was Spain's first win and 10th nomination. I actually don't know how it won, because it didn't win any major awards outside of Spain, except one in Argentina in the Mar del Plata International Film Festival. And in the Montreal World Film Festival, it won the prize of the Ecumenical Jury. Mm. That's the only awards hardware that it got. It did. I don't even think it was. Uh, I'm taking a look at the awards that Begin the Begin got. Uh, now I begin to begin. Volvera and Pizar. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the title is really confusing. 
Um, I'm taking a look at its awards run. It was not even nominated at the Goyas, which is like the Spanish Oscars. Ooh. Ooh, that's quite interesting. Like, how it didn't it didn't win almost anything. It didn't win anything. Yeah, it, it won uh, in Premios ACE Best Director in Cinema Writer Circle Awards Best Actress Fotogramas de Plata Best Actor Nominee Montreal World Film Festival Ecumenical Jury Prize Academy Awards Best Foreign Language That's it. I don't know how it won. <laughs> Maybe we can answer that later when we talk about the rest yeah. of the nominees. I have a guess. <laughs> maybe the the panel, maybe the panel, maybe the whole panel were just um tired with life, so they look for something simpler. Yeah, because the best picture with winner that year was Gandhi, a three-hour mm. film on Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi. Ooh. And we'll see at the bunch of the nominees here. Okay. So the nominees were Alcino and the Condor from Nicaragua, Coup de Torchon from France, Flight of the Eagle from Sweden, and Private Life from Soviet Union. So which film would you like to discuss first? Mm, I don't know. Maybe Private Life. Private Life from Soviet Union. It premiered in Venice and it won something for artistic collaboration. It's about um a, a an old um an old man working for um a company um that makes and he is he he leaves the company. Uh so after years of working for that company then he starts his own life. And what does it mean to start again um, at an old age? That's not a very clear summary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you think of private life? Mm, mm, private life. That's, that's why I chose to discuss this first. Because it tends to um, um, have something similar with Volvere. They uh they kind of discuss the same thing like what what would um what's the name of the lead character uh like the In private man, life yeah uh Sergey Nikitich Abrikosov ah, Sergey 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 what like what would what would he do with his life now that he has the time to do almost anything. It kind of um um I think it kind of um a good jump from Volver to a new film because uh they're both in midlife and I don't know I think they're kind of um doing a decision of what to do with life and with uh with, with private life it kind of um. Uh, there are a lot of uh, things that could be discussed, I think, about this film. But I'm not really... I don't know. Um, it's, 
I'm not very sure how you feel about it, but it's quite dragging for me to watch. But I really like the conflicts that were presented in this film. And um, I kind I kind of like the ensemble, the other characters. And um, also, well, yeah, I kind of... Uh, um, um, I don't know. I kind of somehow I I'm, I'm not sure how to say it. Or I don't like to say that I could relate with him, but or I don't know if I could relate with him not knowing what to do with my life right now or like he's actually the he's the exact opposite of who I think I am as a person. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Mm, it's kind of dragging for me to watch, but I kind of enjoy certain parts. I would also say the same thing. Mm. I think it has interesting concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what does it mean to start a life again? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, when you're a former dire- when you're a director of a company and then you're forced to leave. Yeah. You know, from such a high position, like what happens? What's what's the fallout from that? How mm. do people start to treat you differently? And I think, mm-hmm. um, I think throughout it's mostly interesting. I'm not always invested in it. It I, perhaps I actually think this is the film that I had the least emotional investment that I had, but <laughs> I just did not. Um, <laughs> I, it's almost it reminds me of Olvera and Pedar the simplicity of it it's 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 a sim, it's a film told very simply yeah and I also would say reiterate that sometimes simplicity is a strength yeah this case I don't think it's its strength <laughs> I think the fact that it's a very introspective story and it's treated with a very um almost it's not even matter of fact it's just it for such a journey that is so introspective mm. it's refusal to go there reads to me as all right so what are we saying now mm. because i don't know if we are truly understand i am not truly understanding that character mm. i want to get to know him more because mm. it it is such a tricky place to be in, you know, in a headspace. And the fact that the film doesn't go there, doesn't... This is a film with very few uh, close-ups. And I think that hampers because I want to see... I want to get... I, this is not even a kind of a story that... We see filmmakers that are decidedly not going to close-ups. And it's, it makes a point by not going Mm-mm. to close-ups. With this one... I don't understand why we are not closer to them. I feel we need to be closer to them. Um, the protagonist is interesting enough, but um, I'm more intrigued when the protagonist is in relationship with other people, not with mm-hmm. him per se. Mm-hmm. Um, he acts more as a, like a vessel to show this, you know, late life crisis of some sort um it doesn't feel forced but at the same time i'm not even in the capacity to tell that it's being genuine in what it wants to say Mm. yeah 
<laughs> I'm not really sure what it is really trying to say. <laughs> there are so many side characters that that at first I thought that that um I should focus on them because they might be um they uh they might be telling me something that uh I would have um I don't know I uh there are many many of them that I I'm not sure if um they should be at at the film at all I don't yeah. know <laughs> a lot of side characters <laughs> but uh, well it this film is uh I don't know it's very hard to watch because it reminds me of old telenovelas because of the number of characters because of the protagonist's relation with each of with each of them but uh well out of them the maybe i really like uh his relationship with his wife i think um i kind of at, later on i kind of focus with that and um uh, is is uh is that his grandson the one that smokes the one the one he keeps on telling, "Why are you not working?" Blah blah blah. Yeah, one yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah, I I think that uh, they are. Uh, I think they are the characters that I tried to focus on, and well, other other characters are just like, well, maybe they're for I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think just the protagonist the- has some um, interactions with characters that. I don't know what's the bearing of this character in the story. Yeah, I'm like, I- I'm sure they-, they want to explore like a big family, but the film makes it a point for him to have interactions with each and each and one um with each and every one of them. Mm. And sometimes I don't know why. What's I yeah. I-, I don't know. I don't see the the point. Yeah. Sometimes so it kind of feels like, what are we trying to say? Yeah. I yeah. what are we trying to say with this one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Private life. <laughs> so which which is uh which film would you like us to discuss next? Um a flight. Flight of the Eagle. Yeah, Flight of the Eagle from Sweden. Sweden. It premiered in Venice. It is mm-hmm. about a a very driven um uh, scientist named mm-hmm. uh, Salomon Agus Andre. And his desire to uh, reach the North Pole um, mm-hmm. using um, a balloon. Mm-hmm. And it's directed by Jan Trowell, um, who was nominated at the Oscars for Best Director in 1972. And it stars Max von Sydow, who will be nominated at the Oscars for Best Actor in 1988. Um it's based on the true story of the S uh yeah of Salomon August Andre's Arctic balloon expedition of 1897. Um what do you think of this film? Oh, uh I like the first half of this film. <laughs> uh, I think it was a uh, very made well. It, well, maybe because of the recent uh you know like the Perseverance Mars that landed on Mars recently. It kind of reminded 
reminded me that like um this could have been the equivalent of the uh outer sp- outer space experience during that time during when we're not even sure like we could fly it kind of um have that feeling that it uh it kind of uh well yeah um i think it was so well made that it kind of helped um it's like a good good period film for me but um once they were once they once the balloon has gone it kind of um i don't know the story kind of um goes downhill yeah yeah but i really like the first part of the film and um um i think uh the three characters Andre and the two Niels and what's the name of the other one? The other like there are three of them, right? Um, I think they kind of like I think Luck. Uh, what's what's his name? Nut. Nut. Yeah. Yeah. It's Niels and Nut, right? Yeah. I think they kind of um lack. I don't know emotional death during their journey. It was uh, it was mounted well like uh, you could I could really feel their journey they you could um um see how things were done during that time um I kind of um reminded of uh, my history books when you know when the earth is being discovered and um, we are still being colonized like how those things had happened but uh yeah i think this kind of um lack some depth in terms of characterization but but um i'm i'm not really sure how i feel about the ending because i think this film tried to tried I think it was trying to say something or making me feel something, but I didn't feel that way. Um, with this film, I am with you. Hmm. Um, saying that I feel two halves. Hmm. Um. You know, before they take off, and then the after the fall, the fallout of the yeah, takeoff. Yeah, the fall. Um, the first half is really intriguing because you see, like the you know the the behind the scenes, the backdoor politics and intrigue, and um, yeah, you know the the because I we already know the film is characterizing Solomon as mm-hmm. he's trying to sell this idea of Sweden conquering the North Pole. Yeah, despite. Despite um, uh, what do you call that um, objections with valid basis, mm. he you know you know it, it it talks about like how we could be like as a society can buy into big ideas without really understanding the repercussions of it. How does politics work in this kind of setting? You know, in the scientific community. Um, how far would a one, one person go in his belief despite not really knowing what's beyond Mm-mm. and then when we get to the scene where they're about to to launch the tri- the expedition Mm-mm. 
wow i mean it's such a huge moment and um yeah i doubt it's visual effects i think we're talking about huge sets you know this was the 80s yeah. and it's yeah. um it's an astounding thing to witness like oh yeah. my gosh you know it really feels authentic and i think it can, it's kind of effective you know when they do the um very very short flashes of like old photos i don't know if it's recreated yeah. or whatever but it gives this they look like that like i i, I well i i'm not sure but i think they're they are the real photos and the set was based on those yeah. photos it is striking <laughs> it's very grand yeah it is yeah what i will say in the second half i kind of agree with you i feel like the second half is more meandering mm-hmm. it's not really as going forward as the first half However, yeah. I think the film does shift gears there. Mm-hmm. And because we are now being confronted by the uncertainty, the film is mm-hmm. becoming became unafraid to be mm-hmm. more loose with structure. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it totally works, but mm-hmm. it feels justified and mm-hmm. I feel like when I was watching the second half of the film, plot-wise, it's not as you know, it's the, it's not going into that direction uh, yeah. very smoothly. But it mm. makes sense in the state of mind that these characters Mm-mm. had, and I think we have um, a um, a solid performance from Max von Sydow to carry that second half. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Well, I think... Okay, well, uh, I know. Maybe I should give it a second try. <laughs> but Would yeah, you? the second half of... <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, would it be disrespectful if I play it on background? <laughs> 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 but I... Uh, well, that second half was really was really something that it was I don't. Rough. Well, actually, I don't know what would what would they have done with that half. I mean, they're all in ice, and I don't know what to do with ice as well. But yeah, and oh, I don't know. Maybe there is something about the relationship of these three that I am just not. That's why I'm not just that invested. Uh-huh. I don't know. They like they kind of both. Yeah, the performance was good. Uh, but I don't know. They kind of lack some. I don't know. Bromance. I don't know how to charisma, term it, but, chemistry. Yeah, there is chemistry. Yeah, between between the three. Between uh, yeah. Yeah. Between them. Uh, well, the the death deaths were kind of surprising for me, but um, it happened at the end and it's very you know eh, i don't know if i should have uh it's something that i would have expect i guess but uh i don't know if if i should have been shocked with those parts i don't know maybe i should try to watch at least the second half again <laughs> later after this episode <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> I have nothing else to say. I think it's a solid, solidly made film mm. that makes sense why it's here. 
And it, well, okay, yeah. yeah, it kind of makes it makes sense. It makes sense. It has strengths. Yeah. yeah. I even thought that this one won actually. Wow. Oh. Yeah. After the slander, anyway. <laughs> All right. So next film. Next film. Um. What? We we could go with Alcino or the Coop. Yeah, we only have two options left. <laughs> so which one? Okay, okay. Uh, Alcino. Oh, and the Condor. Yeah. Alcino and the Condor from Nicaragua. It 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 premiered in Moscow where it won the Golden Prize. It's the first, I believe, it's the first fiction film. Uh, to be made in Nicaragua. Just gonna confirm that. Um, in the most reliable source, Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. Um, I think uh, Roger Ebert said that some somewhere in his life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, first fiction feature ever made in Nicaragua. Um, it is about. It is about a boy named Alcino. A, um, a young boy who um, tries to fly but then he suffers from a fall and then he becomes a hunchback and then we do see him dealing with the US occupation we see uh, the command and it's a commander um, launching attacks in the area where they live and we see the cruelties of the American occupation in their place in Alcino and the Condor. Um, one trivia before I before I continue. Um, it actually premiered in the nine. It actually also screened in the nineteen eighty three Manila International Film Festival. Oh yes, in the Manila Film Center. <laughs> Ooh. Yes. <laughs> so, what do you think of Alcino and the Condor? For Alcino and the Condor, and um, uh, I don't know. It uh, this film kind of reminded me. Ganito kami noon. Paano kami ngayon? Yes, which was which was submitted by the Philippines in 1976 for the Oscars. And it's already available on demand worldwide, so you can all watch it. Um, I don't know if this is how we were before. How are you doing now? I don't know if it's the correct translation. <laughs> anyway, so uh, why, why, how did it remind you of it? Um, it kind of... I'm not really sure why, but because this is... Um, this is um told through the point of view of Alcino, a young child, like, and and well because it was set during war, and you know he's just like a kid, one of those kids that that uh, um that doesn't really have a place in war. Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? Like you you're just a kid and it's war. Like here. You're not one of the soldiers, but I don't think he he actually he actually also knew what um 
what a war really means. Like it's just ongoing and and um it's ongoing during his time and he's just a child trying to, you know, like make sense of the world or like see what I I mean he's just a kid trying to fly and yeah, with all this war ongoing around going around him. It kind of reminds me um um that's well, may, maybe that's why because it's it's well coming of age during war but i think this f- film also has something that, like it would actually make sense that it premiered in that it premiered in Manila Film Festival during the Manila Film Festival because I, the next thing that I <laughs> that's written on my note is it it can be said almost anywhere that the United States tried to colonize. Ooh. Like I, <laughs> I think it's a very, it doesn't have to be set in in Nicaragua. It's not set in Nicaragua, but I think it could have been set here. And we would have accepted it as a story as well. Yeah, there were some disturbing shots that uh, I don't know. They they are disturbing, but I think they are needed, and um, they have um help with the characterization of Alcido. And yeah, let's go USA. And... <laughs> I think uh yeah, that's I think that's all. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Well, uh, uh, I'm not sure if I like the technicals to this one. Well, I, I think they uh, it was it's not well. I think they made well with what they have technically, and it worked. It works as a film. Uh, you know, there is a version online that uh, it's actually has better image quality, but it only has Spanish subtitles. <laughs> so I don't know what to do with oh. that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll see you in a condor. Um, I think it's an interesting film to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, it mixes very realistic. It's it's realistic depictions mm-hmm. of war. With this mm. very active fantasy life of Alcino. Yeah. And then mm. the clash of the two when they mm. come together. And sometimes mm. we see shots that, you know, sometimes it's edited in a way that we are piecing together shots that don't tell, that don't necessarily tell something immediately when it's just one shot, but it tells something. I think you have to piece together. There are some it 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 goes yeah. into different cinematic uh, languages in terms of editing, and it, mm. it it clashes in a very interesting way. Uh, I'm I I won't say it always works. Um, mm. There are parts where, for example, I, I I think we could have gone without with way lesser screen time for the U.S. Um, soldier. Uh, person mm-hmm. um, played by Dean Stockwell we could have had lesser time with that we could have stuck more with Alcino and mm-hmm. the way he sees war because it's childhood and war together he wants to fly at one mm-hmm. moment and then at the other 
he's experiencing so much pain from the fall and then the other he goes into the forest and then minutes after he sees like this uh destroyed umbrella why is it in the river and then he sees bodies floating mm. around so it's a film mm. that always it's actively try it's actively doing things which makes you it keeps you guessing which is great because mm. it's a testament to how mm. um it's not like for example volvera and pedar it's 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 simple it is what it is I'll see the when Condor. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you feel the limitations of the production, which is really fine. You know, it's the first film from that country. Yeah, good for them. Yeah. But you feel the the eagerness to push and push and push on how it's telling the story. Yeah, yeah. And it's I find it really refreshing, if not always the most um, entertaining thing to watch. Yeah. Well, it's not. I think it's not entertaining, but it's a very interesting. It's very interesting, and yeah, with the storytelling, like you actually don't know where the what the story where the story would lead you. That's what I think. And uh, it yeah, that's why I think it kind of reminded me again to Camino on paano because that's how I felt when I first watched that film. Like I totally don't know where it would lead me. And I well with this one I like the ending with this one. What was the ending again? I forgot. Well, yeah, well there was the war. I, there was the because the people kind of um try to to yeah. fight with the U.S. Army, and um he he's actually he's one of the people who joined, and I I remember the last shot with him holding a gun or a sniper something like that. I like that ending. Yeah. I do not specifically remember that shot, but I think yeah. that final stretch, you know, when there's this, when the attack started and then, you know, from both ends, you know, uh, the airplane mm. and then the, re- the rebels fighting back. Yeah. Uh, it is... Um, it made me... It, it was intense because it's not only... Yeah. It's they they did not treat this the attacks as like this an action scene. There is still this it, it's it keeps the language that the film establishes. It's like there is a clash of mm. images and sound and it is a distinctly uh point of view of the colonized. The way it treats that mm. ending. The way it treats that attack, yeah. it's I really appreciated it because that's why the the focus on the American soldier sticks out even more because the film yeah. is very much in the side of the colonized. You know, it's the kid and it's the grandmother and it's the other kid and it's the other colonized people and, yeah. the, and the attacks is very much framed in the perspective of the colonized. So. That's why it it, yeah. it sticks out even more. But that ending is so well mounted. Yeah. It does a lot of things, um, in terms of editing and in images. I really appreciate the audacity that it had because it has ambition yeah. in the audiovisual language that it sets out. And that ending, um, hmm. I believe that scene and the, the attacks goes beyond just a recreation of attacks. It feels something yeah. from a distinct perspective of this 
boy and yeah. there's this almost like um uh loss of childhood but there is still mm-hmm. in touch of a you know, very lived in inner life you know because he had so much fantasy in, in his mind um mm-hmm. i The more I talk about it, I really appreciate the things it did because it is more ambitious mm-hmm. than it's more ambitious and it's more risk taking than mm-hmm. I would say yeah. all of Compared the other nominees. You... Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say it totally succeeded, it... but it's the most ambitious of all. Well, for a first film, I think I mean <laughs> if it is the first <laughs> entry. <laughs> Of this country, <laughs> I think it ended well. I think, I think it's uh, it has a very satisfying. I'm thinking now, out of all the films I have watched, if if this one has the most satisfying ending, not really sure. But there are little points here that I really like. Like um, I really like him. Uh, I really like him. Wanting to fly and telling his friend that uh, I would have fly and this is how should I fly something like that and then there's this uh, U.S. Army person that uh, they he told the little boy that uh, when when you grew up you could fly with us something like that right like he, he was telling the boy that uh, that I could have I could change your life if you want to join me there are very interesting parts for me. And yeah, I th- yeah I I think there is um, I think I I find this film kind of a gem because it's very very relatable to us culture wise, yeah like like what I said earlier like this could have been set here in the Philippines or the Filipinos could could have done this kind of film. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it could have been done here. We share. We share a lot of. Uh, it kind of showed our history as well, even though this was shot in Nicaragua because of the shared history we have against of the colonizers. I think um, this kind of stand out out of the films that are in this lineup, and I really like it for that. Well, those are like personal reasons, but for. But yeah, I kind of think that it's a it's a it's a gem out of the lineup, and uh and somehow well almost of um almost all of the lineup are like focused on men in their mid I don't know forties fifties like almost all of the films were were <laughs> focused on men's midlife crisis. This kind of um stand out because it's a coming of age and personally i am kind of biased with coming of age films you will yeah well, i like this <laughs> uh yeah <clears throat> yeah it's, it's it's also important to highlight that this was uh, a co-production between nicaragua mexico and cuba Ooh. um Maybe last things that I would mention about about this film. Number mm-hmm. one, I would reiterate. I feel because this uh, this was directed by uh, Miguel Litin, who this is not his first film. Uh, He is a Chilean director. 
Ooh. Uh, and he has made films for one, two, three, four, five. He's made six films before this one. Oh. But it being the first film from Nicaragua, mm. I felt the hunger mm. in telling the story. Mm. I, I can't quite explain it in terms of like technical terms, but it's just that you see it's not something that just coats, uh, coasts and like oh, telling the yeah. story. There is, I feel the urgency mm. in it, um, in, in the film, um, despite my um, criticisms of <laughs> some of it. And it's also just surprising that this one stuck out as like, you know, it, the Oscars being an American mm. award to see in the height in the in the period of Cold mm. War, they nominated a film where the U.S. force is defeated Mm-mm. and the people are celebrating rebel insurgency and you know socialism. Mm. It was just like they really submitted Mm-mm. this, and the second thing is they nominated this. <laughs> okay, great, <laughs> perfect. Um, yeah, so. Is there anything else to add? I think that well, maybe last thing is, I think this is a film that you could um, you could brush off technicalities and just uh look at this look. I think this the concept and the story are very strong already. That I'm not really bothered with the with the film's technicalities. Like uh, I think it was very mounted well. At it, I at least it was edited well. I think well for. This film, um, this is, I think it's a very strong one. It's like a piece of history that that uh, most of us could relate with. But yeah, I think the story and the concept is very are strong enough to so we can overlook all the technicalities. But yeah, that's all. <laughs> yeah, and also a few things to note. This was actually based loosely based on a Chilean, uh. A work by a Chilean oh. writer. But this one was made in Nicaragua. Second, it was the comeback film of actor Dean Stockwell, who has been acting for decades then. This was his comeback film, and he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 1988, six years after this. The third one, the cinematographer Jorge Herrera died during production. Oh. So, uh, you know... Then there was a replacement. Oh, for so he so wasn't able to finish I think important to shooting this one. Oh no! Oh, yeah. Yes, that's Alcino okay. and the Condor, and the last film is Coded Horshon. Just like uh, Volvera and Pedar, they submitted the film at the Oscars as Coded Horshon, but with a given translation of Clean Slate. It is about. Um, a policeman in a small town in Africa that is under the French uh, rule. Um, and, you know, he is very much uh, loose with implementing the mm. rules in the town. And it kind of calls the question his competence as a policeman. And then um, one night he kills two pimps by the river. Meanwhile, he starts to have an affair with a woman that is uh, married to a hot-headed man. Um, 
I don't know what else to say. What do you think of coup d'etat, Sean? Um, okay. Uh, maybe the good parts first. <laughs> I like the... Pr- the first thing okay. that I noticed with this one is the production design. I really like the set. I really, I really like the houses. I really like the colors used. It's weird because it's pastely. But yeah, it kind of worked. Um, I thought this is... I thought this is going to be something light, something entertaining, like bordering dramedy. Um, but I'm not really sure how I feel about the whole film. Be- Why is uh, that? Well, because of uh, uh, because of the, I think it is it. I think this story is interesting, like following following the life of these cop with indifference with the law but i'm not i'm not uh i think i have to give this one a rewatch and i i think i would definitely because i think this this has um this is this tells something a lot about humanity it tells something about power like being the law like his wife um i i remember i remember his wife telling him the line but you are the law when someone's knock on the door but he was so i don't know i don't i don't think he knew what to do with his power and well yeah it kind of um it's interesting to watch and see and discover what what would one do with well, you know, you know them saying, or like it's the Spider-Man motto with great power comes great responsibility. And I don't think, I, I and it's interesting how that saying was uh, not really used, but you know how it kind of explored it with this one. Like, like he used most of his power just for his advantage. And yeah, he was very loose with the law and all that. But yeah it's uh it's very interesting to see that human side or or like believe that almost all of humanity has that side and and yeah he's more i think he's more loose right because he's not at home maybe there is also that uh reason that's why he's very like loose with the law or like not really knowing I think there's, like, for him, there's no law at all. I like the law being vague and all. <laughs> what do you think about it? I don't know what to think about it. I I was really entertained. Mm. <laughs> um, I like how it goes from this... It, it strikes a very specific tone of like it's v- it's dark comedy but it doesn't call attention into the humor but it also very exposing of the rotten colonial thinking of racism in their own country you know like um and then it it also it also becomes this uh it, it is funny and disturbing at times and it 
I was just so fascinated by it. And uh, of course, Isabelle Luper is always fascinating. Um, it's funny in some sick yeah. ways. And what it's I'm actually bothered, actually. That I find it, yeah. it's very dark and some things were very funny. And it's disturbing me that I find it funny. <laughs> you are dark. <laughs> <laughs> you are disturbed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's the easiest film. Uh, aside from Volverepeta, I think it's an mm. easy watch. Just because I think it just flows. And uh, I think it was highly mm. engaging. And I don't know what to say mm. anything more about it. Um, I will say that actually at the time, it received... Mixed reviews from English mm. critics, which is weird. Okay, um, but it is it is um, very darkly comic and also mm. serious. So it's a hard thing to balance, and it, it it does it really mm. well. It's twisted, and uh, yeah, very. It has a very good casting. I, Casting and I think characterization. I really like all the side characters, <laughs> and I find them yeah. really, really funny. Especially I, I what find the it, name yeah. of the guy is that no no like uh, his wife's um brother, <laughs> but also a lover. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah no no. It's very disturbing. Like uh, I want to smack him. I never. He's on the screen, but also he's a, he's very good, and I I think they are all casted well. Yeah, that relationship between Lucian and Hoget is yeah. sick. <laughs> sick. Um, uh, and of course, there's also this element of you know one of the pimps has a brother, as mm. it turns out. It's just like this is. Yeah, that's funny. Like, is that the is that the that the one that uh made it into their place and like everyone was was so surprised because they thought that the dead was like <laughs> they thought that <laughs> he, yeah. was the, he was the one who died before. That that was very Sick. funny and also how. How the character said goodbye to him, like when when he told him, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't tell you something," and the brother was like, "Why? What was it?" Or I didn't tell you that I saw I saw him and his friend after he died, and it's like his face was just so blank and didn't know what to think. But it's really funny, <laughs> like when he's on the train. Yeah. Anything else on Kudato Shot? Um, I think nothing else. <laughs> All right, so let's. You've been saying some things about like your feelings about this batch of nominees, including Volvera mm. and Binar. Um, what do you think of this group what in general? Do I think? Um, I think compared compared with the last. Lineup that I watched that was back in two thousand two. I kind of, I kind of have a hard time watching this one. Um, first of all, they they are all centered, centered with 
men's life in general, mostly men in their mids, um, men facing midlife crisis, men not knowing what to do with their life, men with their, I don't know, personal issues, and and I'm not so interested with that. <laughs> so, so I kind of had a... I, I I was looking for a I don't know I was looking for a girl protagonist, but I didn't like. There's no girl in this one, so it it kind of I really had a hard time watching them. Maybe I'm not really interested with men. men. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's end it with that. Okay, okay, next. Men's next. life in general. But yeah, that's yeah. maybe. But maybe that was also telling of um telling of um the situation or the storytelling of that time. Why are there not enough? I don't. If these are no, if these are all nominees during that time, what? Why are they not enough stories about women during those times? Um, it kind of question. I it I question. I, how do I say this? Um, I kind of had those questions in mind and um it but the lineup i don't know it's kind of i'm i'm saying it's kind of a lot of times but i'm so sorry um but uh all these films um i feel i felt like they are i don't know somehow curated like they go along together like they they are trying to say almost the same thing it felt that way and i don't know uh, for me this is not a very varied lineup but they they go well as a batch but yeah it feels like you have to look for something more if you are trying to i don't know I don't think they actually curated the lineup this year very well. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. To you? Um, yeah. It it it, uh, it is kind of uh, indicative of what the academy feels like, or what what they think are like priority in the stories they want to highlight. It's stories about men. Yeah. Um, yeah. Men, men, and like men having a hard time living. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, these men. Don't necessarily have a hard life, <laughs> but they're having yeah. a hard time. Yeah. yeah. If you look at it, all these men are actually success successful men. Like uh, involved very like he won a Nobel Prize and the Flight of the Eagle. He's like he's known as a good scientist, right? Yeah. And then Kuditorshan is a a, a a person of authority in that place. And then yeah, um, what what else? Uh, yeah. Well, in private, private life, life, he's he's a successful man, right? He, before yeah, he he's was a successful um, man kind before of... he experienced that. Yeah, so I think that's that's why Al Alcina and the Condor really stand out for me because it's coming of age and yeah, and a child not knowing what uh you well in the middle of the war. But yeah, all these other stories are about men being successful and not knowing what to do with the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, not very interested. Yeah. 
Uh, one thing I would say, we I, I don't think we had the same heights as Hero. But mm. I also don't think we have the same lows as Zos and Zo. This mm. this lineup feels very middle of the road. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of strong attachment to any of these films. Um, hopefully, mm. you know, in our discussion of the five films, especially Volvia and Beta, we were mm-hmm. able to highlight that it's not just good or bad. Films can mm-hmm. have both. Film can exist in between. Yeah. And um, I'm interested in men, not in films. <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, in men in general. Wow, judger. <laughs> no, I'm interested. I'm interested in men, but not with their life. High five. And <laughs> life crises. We're interested in men, but not with their lives. We only see them as maybe. Eye candy. <laughs> or maybe I'm interested. I'm interested in men, but not these men. <laughs> not this true. I don't know. Not this man. We're not there yet where we're engaging with old men. We're like, we're still good. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's, Mm. I think that's the overall feel that we got from this lineup. Interestingly, Mm. the most nominated foreign language film from this year at the Oscars wasn't in this category. That film is Das Boot. From West Germany. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for Golden Globe in 1981. BAFTA nomination. Director's Guild of America nomination. National Board of Review Top 5. It was nominated for Best Film Editing. Best Sound. Best Sound Effects Editing. Best Cinematography. Best Adapted Screenplay. And Best Director. It is about... Uh, a group of young Nazi soldiers that were deployed in a submarine to launch attacks um, in the sea. Duh! <laughs> Duh! Duh. Um, but, um, you know, their presence in the sea kind of backfires. And now they're starting to fight for their lives while they are stuck inside the U-boat. Um the German submarine U-96. Um, oh, it's based on the experiences of... Okay. Uh, what do you think of Das Boot? Hmm, for Das Boot, um, after hearing all the awards that it won during that time, I think it they actually deserve that. I think that this one has... A, ha, they mounted, executed scenes very well. Um, good cinematography, good production design. I like the look of the boat. Um, good disturbing scenes. Um, I think I think this is this one is a very depressing film. Really? Um, okay. <laughs> um. Well, for this one, this one reminds me of Dunkirk, but. But a very, but I think this is more tragic than that. Not really sure, but I think yes, because it has a very tragic ending. Um. But yeah, um, maybe what I really like about this film is um, these are about German soldiers, and um, throughout history we actually hated them for well for 
for being Nazis. Duh. Hated, duh. duh. We hated them, but but with this one, they were well. They were um character. Well, they were characterized as as Nazis. But um, during the the scenes inside the boat, the ship, um, I kind of uh, um, sometimes I forget that they are Nazis. Like they, you just see them as men, soldiers in uniform, trying to survive the war. So I think this kind of show shows um humanity with uh with uh, like stripping all the the beforehand judgments you have of them so yeah it's just you know pure pure life outside um all the labels like it could be i think it could be narrowed down to that but but yeah, I um I think uh a comparison a com a comparison with this one is um <laughs> not really sure if this is a good comparison, but maybe a comparison of how I felt with this film. So a good comparison would be Grave of the Fireflies in a Filipino pers- perspective. Like you always just knew Japanese as the villain during World War Two because because of the things they did to us Filipinos and um you kind of forget that oh there are like Japanese with normal lives and yeah well with the story of the fireflies you you kind of um empathize with with the life of a Japanese uh teenager trying to save his sister um i think the same empathy i i had with that film was um experience again with this film because yeah i uh because all the other outside like yeah well yeah the beforehand judge the beforehand judgment was like kind of stripped down and yet you just see them as like yeah, men trying to survive um and yeah the that tragic ending of you know the very tragic ending i don't know how to explain that but yeah it it ended very tragically and i think <laughs> i would i i actually think i would rewatch this one again because this is the last this is out of all the lineup that i watched this is the last one that i watched so <laughs> i was I was kind of. I'm sorry. I'm. I maybe my mind was tired with all these films, like watching them in succession. But maybe if I watch this one a little earlier, I would have um absorbed more. I think. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I think it was well made again. Maybe a lot of these films are, I think, where they were actually well made, but they kind of, you know, lack some depth. Yeah, I think that's all I could think as a film. <laughs> what do you think about it? Yeah. Um. First of all, just just to tell our listeners, we were supposed to record at nine p.m. <laughs> And Carla messaged me like, "Can we move to 11? I still have to watch Das Boot." 
And we started recording at 12. <laughs> Midnight. <laughs> um, mm. You know what? I watched this after everything. Mm. After all of the nominees. Mm. I really thought this was a very strong film. Mm. I could not believe how this was made. Um, mm-hmm. I checked because this was released in 1981 in Germany. I checked mm. they did not submit this. I don't know. How can you not submit this one? Um, this was released in the United States. It was one of the most expensive mm. uh, films in German cinema. But uh, it had a budget of around like $18 million. But then worldwide it grossed 84.9. That would be uh, hundreds of billions of dollars now. Um, in the United States, they released the German version and the English dubbed version, but the English, the German version was mm. um, was more successful. I thought mm. through and through this was a gripping film. It was so involving. I actually like how they started with mm. a little bit of commentary about the Nazi fanaticism because you see the captain kind of disillusioned mm. like you know he was already ready to call bullshit on Hitler and the people around yeah. him were getting tense because you know everyone is like Heil Hitler but um the pe- he started to really go off and he almost went to say things that would be like so regrettable in this part but I like it how it established that the main person we follow doesn't really subscribe to that fanaticism anymore. And then when we see, you know, because the young boys that were there, they were young boys, young German men, <laughs> young, um, <laughs> that, anyway, sorry. Uh, um, they were, they believed the Nazi vision, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. superior race. They will win this thing. We will dominate. And then through their own experience, it's not discussed explicitly anymore, but we see them starting to become disillusioned. Like we, they see mm-hmm. struggle because they thought they're going to be, it's, it's an easy win. You know, we're the superior race and it's not an easy win. Now they're just fighting for their lives. And then they come home, they receive the same salutations mm-hmm. of like, you know, this is a rejoice, rejoice, mm-hmm. um, superior race. And then they're bombed again. So, there is this stripping off of the idealized way of you know fascism basically that they have in Nazi Germany, but when you're just, it was such an experience yeah. just to be inside that ship, and that that boat, yeah, and then it just had it had scenes where it was just <laughs> like you know what I freaking surrender. This is so good. And it was such an experience. Yeah, yeah. And there were moments when I recall yeah. Titanic. on Because Titanic has yeah. those moments of like very gripping scenes underneath. And yeah, it, it the, the, the shot sizes and the way it shoots, sometimes it's static, sometimes it's tilting, sometimes it just goes into the mm-hmm. static cam shots. Like, I don't know how long can you go with a static cam shot. It's intense and you just see yeah. how claustrophobic it is at certain points. And the, the the tension and sometimes the paranoia and the loss of hope and the it, it, it was really immersive and I don't <laughs> usually get to say that in a film when you're watching in the living room in an afternoon in a not not the biggest TV available. So it was really immersive sound wise. I, I hope I sh- it should have won sound and sound effects editing. I know 
ET won that, but I, this was really great. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so so well made. Gosh, I was about to tell you tell you that as well. It it reminded me of Titanic, but it, it, it's like it it feels like this is if this if this were the Titanic, like maybe this is how the captain feels. Like you know, <laughs> maybe if the Titanic was not focused. Not focus on Jack and Rose's um love story. Maybe this is how the sheep people, like the people who were, <laughs> the people who were within the Titanic felt like. I I you know what what I recall the scenes in Titanic where they followed the coal mm. workers. You know when they the ones yeah. below and they were like running for yeah. the that, that's what I felt. And imagine a film following yeah. those. That's. Yeah. And you see the captain not upstairs but yeah. downstairs. That's Dashwood basically, and I'm like, so tense. Yeah. It was I really inspired that the academy went Titanic with this one. After this, <laughs> not Dashwood, not Flight of the Eagle. Titanic. Titanic. Um, yeah, it was just really inspired that the academy went with this. Mm. Uh, even for best director. It it should have won sound and sound effects editing and film editing oh, oh over Gandhi mm. come on I've um, never seen Gandhi actually yeah Gandhi is a fine three hour biopic mm. but not as good not as good as Tootsie not as good as E T not as good as uh, even an officer and a gentleman. Mm. Gentleman. Uh, I'm just taking a look at that year for best editing because um, I'm taking a look at the not the nominations for best editing mm. that year, and because I don't I don't get to become a completist in the earlier years of the Oscars, but this is one of those years in the '80s where I've seen all of the nominees for best film editing in 1982. Das Boot, E.T., Gandhi, An Officer, and a Gentleman, Tootsie. It should not have gone to Gandhi, but anyway. <laughs> but it's uh, Gandhi. That is, yeah. Of course. I think it has something to do with that. That's why they chose. Gandhi won nine Oscars that night, oh. so they loved it. Oh. Yeah. Um... And then the other films were La Travietta from Italy. It was directed by Franco Zeffirelli. Oh, anyway, the director of Das Boot is Wolfgang Peterson. Um, it is available in many versions, but we watched the theatrical version. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, La Travietta from Italy, directed by Franco Zeffirelli. It was nominated for Golden Globe in a BAFTA nomination. It was nominated for Best Art Direction and Costume Design at the Oscars. It is um, an adaptation of the Giuseppe, Giuseppe Verdi opera. It was interesting because this was nominated for the Oscars in 82. But it would have been eligible to be submitted by Italy in 83. It's one of those weird cases when an, a non-American film premiered first in America. Mm. That's why it's nominated for the Oscars in 82. And then Quest for Fire from Canada. It's about a prehistoric uh, tribe. Um, 
and their quest for fire. Um, it this the it was written by Jean Jacques Anor. Uh, the language is an invented language. An invented language. Yeah, <laughs> and it won best makeup over Gandhi. <laughs> so, um, we have this year we had twenty five submissions. The first timer was Nicaragua. It was submitted and was nominated. Um, uh, this year we had twenty five submissions, and uh, I think the most popular of these submissions were two, uh, Fitzcarraldo from West Germany. It won Best Director at Cannes. It was nominated for Golden Globe and BAFTA. It's about an extremely determined man who intends to build an opera house in the middle of a jungle. This is one of those notorious, like, nightmare behind-the-scenes stories in filmmaking, but it's not considered a classic. And then Yol from Switzerland, it won Palme d'Or in Cannes, was also nominated for Golden Globe. It's one of those cases where, um, because before there's a rule that if you're a Swiss film, your language should be in in Swiss language as well, So, so German and French. They allowed... A Turkish film, basically a Turkish film, to compete in Switzerland because this film was actually smuggled out of Turkey to Switzerland. <laughs> That's interesting. And this, yeah, this is about five prisoners given a week's home leave after the 1980s Turkish coup d'état. Um, so I am. I'm just gonna read off some. I will not be able to read the 25 submissions, <laughs> the 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 rest of the 25 submissions. I'm just gonna read a few. Sandstorm from Algeria. It premiered in Cannes and Chicago. It's about the mistreatment of female members of a tribe facing sandstorms. Uh, Minuet from Belgium. It premiered in Toronto and Chicago. It's about a factory worker in a brewery who makes a collection of gruesome news clippings. Wildflowers from Canada. It premiered in Cannes. It's about three generations of a family struggling to be open to one another during a vacation. The Assistant from Czechoslovakia. It's about it premiered in Chicago. It's about a family that moves to a southern Slovakia uh, home and they open a business and get together with that place for business. They inherited an amoral assistant. Tree of Knowledge from Denmark. It premiered in the Uncertain Regards section of Cannes. It's about students in a class of the late 1950s from 13 to 16 years old. And this one was shot in two years because they really followed the actors grow up. Uh, Angel from Greece. It premiered in Chicago. It's about a secretly gay man who works in the army by the day and a prostitute at night. Uh... Time Stands Still from Hungary. It premiered in Cannes and Chicago. It won in the New York Film Critics. It's about a teenage boy in the shifting political landscape of post-1956 Hungary. Hamsin from Israel. It premiered in Locarno. It won a Silver Leopard. It's about a Jewish farmer and his relationship with an Arab employee. Um, the Night of the Shooting Stars from Italy. It premiered in Cannes, where it won a special jury grand prize. And also in Chicago, it's about the residents of a small Italian town under Axis control. They flee their homes to seek out the liberating allied forces. Um, Onimasa from Japan. 
It's about the lives of Boss Onimasa, his adopted daughter Matsue, and biological daughter Hanako. The Cool Lakes of Death from the Netherlands. It's about a bourgeois woman struggling with her sexuality and that turns her into a prostitute. Um, the Battle of the Republic of China. It's from Taiwan. <laughs> it's about it's a patriotic extravaganza covering the political events of 20th century Taiwan. And A Smell of Kinses from Yugoslavia. It's about a Nazi-friendly businessman who becomes rich but falls in love with a Jewish girl. I'm sorry to the other films that I did not read. I don't have time anymore. Um, let's go for let's not go to the films that were not submitted. I only have a few before we talk about the special part of this episode. Uh, Veronica Voss from West Germany. It won Golden Bear in Berlin. It was directed by Rainer Werner Fassbinder. It's about a famous actress during the Nazi era. Um. Another Way from Hungary. It won Best Actress in Cannes. Directed by Karoli Mack and Janos Santos. It's about an affair between two women. And I've heard it's like a classic in queer cinema in Hungary. Um, the Wind from Mali. It premiered in the Unset Organ section in Cannes. It's directed by Soleimane Sisse. It's about a pot-smoking daughter of a military governor who falls in love with a university student. Um, the Night in Varon from France and Italy. Premiered in Cannes, directed by Ettore Escola. It's about three men following the royal coach in flight from Paris. Shivers from Poland. It premiered in Berlin, special jury prize, directed by Wojciech Marczewski. It's about a boy coming of age in a socialist government. And this was actually banned in Poland. Um, a Good Marriage from France. It won Best Actress in Venice. It's, it's directed by Eric Romer. And Agony from Soviet Union. It premiered in Venice and Moscow, directed by Elem Klimov. It was made in 1973 to 1975, but it was only released in 1981 to 1982. So, as I've been saying since the 1984 episode, this is the period where we have so many great films, Filipino films, not submitted. So we're just going to take the time to... Uh, talk about them a bit and some of them are available on demand worldwide so it would be great to catch them the first film that we're gonna talk about is Gold Silver Death from Chicago uh, from Chicago from, from the Chicago. Philippines it, it, it premiered in the Chicago International Film Festival it's directed by Peke Galiaga and it's about a story of two rich families that um, when the arrival of the Japanese occupation they move to a re uh, to a vacation house and they coexist. But then, as the Japanese occupation comes nearer, they go to a house in the middle of the forest. And they coexist. It's one of those rare period epic films from the Philippines because we don't get them all the time. Um, what do you think of Gold Silver Death? Um, I remember watching this film when I was still a student, a film student, and I really like it. I I think it was a uh, something that I kind of crave watching now because I don't think we have this kind of films recently. 
um, it's one of those films that um, that I try to look back when I'm thinking of our cinema because I think it was very somehow it like it feels grand even though I'm not sure if it's a really grand film but I really like uh, the shots I, I remember liking how things were mounted um um also the characters with this one i really like how it focuses on the, like there are two they are rich women right and um they kind of um somehow like you can see how the the war affected them as well even though they were able to escape compared to the other people that were were weren't able to ex- escape and have no had no choice but to face war but uh and this is this one is coming of age right so i really i really like that we have this we have this film as a you know as a country this is a yeah <laughs> i think yeah. that's all for now but yeah i really like this one because we uh, don't really yeah. it, we don't always get this kind of films yeah, uh, it was also produced by the Experimental Cinema of the Philippines, a government institution at the time that funded films. So, mm. um, I would say that <clears throat> I'm not delusional. I know that when we talk about world cinema, Philippine cinema is not the first thing that would come to your mind, mm. to our minds. Um. Up to now, we're still struggling to find our like our footing in. You know, we have a few directors popping in, but that that's it. We don't we're not really the ones a go to country like oh world cinema and our our cinema is also not that accessible to us Filipinos as well. Mm. Um, I saw this first uh, when I was not yet restored. Um, mm. you know because before uh, the, it was released on DVD, not yet restored, mm. and then I was able to watch it restored in in our film center and mm. our film. In, I, I was able to watch it there and it was glorious restoration. That um, was the first time I got to see this film. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was already restored. <laughs> and I was, that's why it's yeah. very beautiful because it was just, yeah. you know, just recently restored. And I remember I wasn't even planning to watch it at the time. I, w- I just got pulled. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, let's have dinner later. Oh, we're watching something. All right, I'm just gonna watch it too. It's just three hours, and we'll have dinner after. And I'm like, mm. okay, let's casually watching this film. Um, I think this film would be a testament to give Filipino talent the money that they deserve. Mm. They come up with the film as so wonderfully executed as this. Give them the money. Yeah. Um. We have. Uh, I don't. I. Uh, I have reservations with that. <laughs> with I don't know with that opinion. I think. Uh, there is really something that distinguishes the cinema, of the cinema that we used to have than the cinema yeah. we have now. Uh, oh yeah, we've talked about it a while ago. Ooh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah I, I see your point yeah <laughs> like I, sometimes I'm not sure if the money is still the problem because 
There, there's a lot of films being made recently. I think, I don't know, oh, maybe this is offensive to the community. <laughs> But uh, I think recently there's a lot of waste of money within our industry. Because, well, people keep on producing films that are not as well made as this one. <laughs> this was being... I applaud you for saying that. <laughs> Thank you. This sounds offensive, I know, but no, I no. think that's the reality of it. Yeah. Like, Sometimes, uh, yeah. I don't know if you observe this or uh, producers, well, like institutions give uh, continues on. Uh, there are a lot of funding recently, but I think they, that um, uh. We what we need more as Filipino as as filmmakers as Filipino filmmakers is the time to really develop our concepts because they all whenever I watch a new film it always feels raw like you get the concept and there's always this feeling after that um. That uh, films are not that. I don't want to say uh, uh like uh like uh, uh they're they're not really like garbage films or like equivalent to trash or but you know that the the concept is there but most of our films recently are not executed well compared to the films of the past, and I know that that uh most of it has to do. Has to do with technology because well now we we get to shoot, shoot whatever, um whatever scene we wanna shoot or we could just you know reshoot and reshoot until we <laughs> run out of hard drive space compared to before that <laughs> we have to buy rolls of film so we have to really we we have to kind of. Be very sure what with what we are making or shooting because it really costs a lot compared to now. But well, yeah, maybe that's for another discussion. Yeah, and you know what? As you're more involved in the industry, I guess as I compared to me because you're you you're there. <laughs> uh, you know what? I I will concur to what you say. Um, now we have the resources. A lot of filmmakers have the reason because sometimes we have experienced those films like um, sometimes sometimes uh, okay I feel that in some of the independent films that I've seen here in the Philippines they feel rushed mm. and sometimes you go back well why do they feel rushed mm. this is the only money that they had yeah but then you can go to other filmmakers like Wait, they all they have all the money. Yeah, <laughs> that's another problem as well. So, um, I I I really don't know because, and uh, unfortunately, I think that the second golden age of this golden age of Philippine cinema in the eighties, the seventies, eighties, mm. this was really because of. I can say it already probably that this was largely due to censorship. Mm. Filmmakers have to be wiser in telling their story. They have to be more yeah. multi-layered. They have to go deeper. They have to yeah. produce stories that can be subversive, but 
in the most create in the more creative ways. Yeah. Because of the censorship at the time. And I'm this is not to promote censorship at all. But I'm just saying that the pressures at the time kind of gives way for uh, filmmakers becoming more clever mm. in trying to tell the stories. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it, censorships can work either way because there are some censorships where the cinema dies because there's no more voice. Mm. But then mm-hmm. there is a certain kind of censorship where if it can still be subverted, then... Uh, or like you can work around that then filmmakers can bring mm-hmm. out their A-game and like and when we look back at the time you know when people were watching this do they think like oh my gosh it's an indictment of fascism inside the Philippines or whatever but it, it, it forces filmmakers to go deeper and I think it's tied to now it's easier to make films especially uh, well te- technically technologically Mm. I'm not gonna say anything about money because I can't get any of my films funded. So, <laughs> but mm. <laughs> um, the language of cinema has been taken for granted. Yeah, it's not being maximized. Yeah, we see a lot of middle of the road films produced. Yeah. And when we look back at this period in time, and we just talked about Gold, Silver, Death. We haven't talked about the other one later, which is layered, layered, layered. But yeah, makes you think of like, where are we now? As This is an entire episode. I'm sorry. This is for an entirely different mm-hmm. episode. But just going back to Gold, Silver, Death, we I, I share your sentiment that we, we I just feel almost like nostalgic. Yeah, I wasn't there, but I almost mm-hmm. feel nostalgic. Like that's what we could do. Yeah, <laughs> so you feel like you belong to that era compared to where you are now. But um, okay, I feel like a lot of people would kind of disagree with me. I'm not saying that we don't need funding because yes, we do. Most yes, we do. Uh, our cinema really needs enough money. Um, but I don't think um. The money are be are spent well. Mm-hmm. To because, those, yeah, uh, I think yeah, it, it can it can be true both ways. You know, there are filmmakers that are struggling because they can't find the money, but then there are yeah. filmmakers who has the money, who have the money, yeah. but the struggle is elsewhere. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I mean, sometimes this maybe the struggle is with, with the storytelling because yeah. I know. <laughs> As an insider, no, I'm just joking. Well, I know, I know, you know, uh, I know films that um, I know some films that are having a hard time finishing the the actual film because of the I don't know because of the very raw storytelling. So they keep on reshooting and reshooting. And you know, reshooting means um waste of money because you have to mount the same sequence. You have to um um uh, you know pay the same or um you have to spend um the same amount of money compared if you you knew from the very start uh, you knew from the very start what you wanna tell or you want what you want your film to be, it won't be that wasteful. Um and uh, yeah, 
a lot of people maybe would call me on that but that's the reality and and yes um there are also films that uh, that the struggle is fund is um looking for funding looking for enough money and most of these are the festival ones because um we here in the philippines like we only have like what we after knowing that the okay we you're you're gonna receive this amount like you're gonna say maybe for example like they would give a production one million and you have to shoot for a few months so you could make it on the festival right so that somehow just the filmmaker is left with like around what seven to eight months to first of all find the find more funding because the one million from the festivals is uh, usually not enough and um that would make them of course not focus on the storytelling so you know, a lot of the issue is money and the i don't know the the situation i um how do you say this maybe the um, the process of the festivals as well i think there's a really really big difference if um festivals give first of all well champagne i know well first of all more money but that would mean maybe less less um what do you call this less lesser um lesser yeah lesser applicants lesser yeah lesser lineup but that would mean more money for each film and uh, maybe more time for filmmakers because because once they once the filmmakers knew that uh, they would need to you know raise another maybe another million just to get this film that that eats a lot of time and they would they would only be left with a few months for the whole process and yeah i think the our filmmakers need to look over that whole process to make it really you know successful be- be- well yeah me because i really believe that if our stories have a very have a very strong um story has a very like it's like the backbone of the film um once we have that um very strong very you know very like a sturdy foundation of the film you can you can overlook all the technicalities that makes the film expensive usually that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we look at yeah. we look at independent films from from other countries. You see a lot of like logos in the beginning because they toured the film. They looked for funding for years, and yeah. um, I don't know. Maybe like because in in our case, for example, oh, we announced that here are the finalists. They're premiering next year. Like, can we yeah. extend it for like maybe two let's years. announce this year. Let's go back to them in two years. Yeah. And I and I'm not really sure, but I think uh, the filmmakers are are also given like a a a month of ultimatum. Like, uh, you have to you only have like maybe two months to decide if you're if you're going to continue or not, because if you if you just pull out at the middle of the like at the middle of the process, I think they they you would um pay them. 
I don't know if double of the money you receive, something like that. I'm not really sure, but I heard it once. So it's a very complicated process. Yeah. But it's very, you know, tight schedule-wise. Yeah. And I, I, and I yeah. think that's a big problem. I know, like, films that are in film festivals that, for example, they're premiering tomorrow. They're still doing the sound mm. mix tonight. Yeah. So it's really... Anyway. But going back to Gold, Silver, Death, it's... It feels... A film that is just... So well-made in every sense of the word. Um, I mean, you can say something about... Um, can say something about the writing, especially the second half or like the, the last mm. hour of the film, where, where, which also makes sense because you know it's a madness of the war and you kind of see them going mad mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. not as cohesive or coherent as the first two hours, but it's something, it's, a, it's, it's an achievement of filmmaking that mm. I'm still yet to see. I mean, we've had a f- very few epics recently in our lifetime we've had like Jose Rizal in 1998 we've also mm. had um, General Luna in 2015 but mm. it doesn't feel as organically period yeah as this one yeah it's hard to capture I that even yeah. compa- I can't compare it I can't I cannot compare it to Luna because it I think it was very, you know, it was very, it has a very grand mount, mounting. Yeah. Compared to this one. Yeah, this one is it's all both about just a family and also about the war. And there are just some scenes that mm. is jaw-dropping. Um, yeah. The, the opening chapter, you know, with people in the party, that's a delicious sequence on its own. Yeah. The... The, the part where the Jap- the Japanese people are arriving and they're packing the house and they're leaving the house and they're crossing yeah. through a fire. Amazing. Mm. And uh, so also something like um, when Miguel tries to save someone, I forgot the name, <laughs> Sherry Hill, and then she he goes mm. through this like abandoned house and he kills so many people and I'm like this is madness this is like how was this even made in the yeah. Philippines in the 80s I cannot yeah. believe oh, I kind of feel sad right now <laughs> why, are we, why are we not having that kind of cinema nowadays <laughs> save those tears because we're gonna talk about another classic the next film is <laughs> Uh, blink of an eye. It premiered in the consider regard sectioning uh, in the director's fortnight section in Cannes. It's directed by Mike DeLeon, and it is about um a family led by uh, a former policeman um who that their daughter is getting married, but the father is very controlling. So what happens is that their daughter, who is being raped by the father, is forced to stay with her newlywed husband in the house where the father is. Um, also recently restored, 
What do you think of this film? What do I think of this film? Um, <laughs> I really like. Um, this is actually maybe if you knew me as a person, maybe this is something you wouldn't expect me to really like because it's dark, but it's very layered. Um, what I really like with this one is the screenplay. I think all the lines were written very well that you wouldn't. I don't know. You wouldn't even notice that they were actually written. Um, it feels like every line was very natural. Um, they didn't give you a line that isn't uh necessary to make the film uh, to make the film go forward. Um, there are a lot of subtleties and um and. Even the rape scene, I mean, you know, the relationship with the father and the daughter is not, um, it was not told very obviously, right? Um, I like how it played with, um, because this is true to life, right? So you would expect that, okay, this is just, um, something that, um, a filmmaker would want to do because it happened in real life but uh, uh but um it also touches upon our reality during those times it was very reflective of the political climate in our country and i like it i really like that filmmakers get to do that compared to uh, well there are you know political films recently but but um i think the political films of our time are very, you know, right on the face compared with how they did it back then. Yeah. This is another film where I talked about um, so many layers. Very dark. <laughs> um, again, working around censorship. But it's because of that, in turn, we have this... Uh, actually very unsettling film. So tense throughout. Um, between this and Karnal, Vixelayan is a great monster, <laughs> um, a father figure. Um, this is just so masterfully done. Uh, it's almost like the opposite of of Oro Plata Mata because in Oro Plata in Gold Silver Death, I mean, in Gold Silver Death, the masterful filmmaking we see through the 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 grandiose production. With this one we see how skillful the filmmaking is in very... Mostly inside a house. But so tense. Yeah. So full of dread. So full of atmosphere. Again, it's like... I go back to Mike DeLeon as like one of my favorite filmmakers. It, he's just... Um, he's so knowledgeable of film language. And you see it in the way he chooses to frame things, the sound, the score, writing, the way... It's always so sharply edited and um, it's so powerful and a powerful ending. And this film is a Christmas film. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so I'm going to ask you this thing because uh, I think we can both agree that Gold, Silver, Death and Blink of an Eye are fantastic films. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, number one, which one do you prefer? Number two, which do you think would be the smarter submission at the Oscars? Oh. Ooh. 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 Um. <laughs> I'm having a hard time right now. Um. I think if I were the one to choose what to submit, I think I would go with Oro Plata Mata because I think it's more, it's, I'm not sure if I, actually, um, I'm actually judging it be- because of the uni- somehow um, universal no, uh, I think it is more universal than that than Kisap Mata. Uh, in terms of theme, because well, it's like you know, for example, Alcina and the Condor. Like, I think people would really get what what's happening, and pe- maybe people are into war, so maybe you know, uh, maybe I would submit Oro Plata Mata for that thing, but uh. If I were to choose, oh, I'm not sure what to choose between the two. Um, if I were to choose, for example, um, I'm a filmmaker, and um, and the Lord told me, oh, you 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 get to make one of these films, but you you but you have to choose <laughs> your life's legacy. Maybe I would choose Kisap Mata for myself. <laughs> Because I think it was very well made. It, it's not it. Uh, the two are very contrasting. Like Oro Plata Mata was um uh, was very grand as a film. Like you know all the wars, all the all the mountain they did with that. Um, is the opposite with Kisap Mata. Like maybe if if um Kisap Mata was um made decently you can even make this film on lockdown because you're just you know the the, the film was just that in inside the house and very minimal uh very just a few characters just you know the family members even um, even the crowd scenes simple. are in tight shots yeah 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 and uh so and this is i think um, this is a, like a very personal film. I don't remember much um, any other side characters that weren't um, necessary in the film. Um, it's it's you know timeless. Like yeah, it, it they could have done. I'm not um, encouraging anyone, but please don't make this up, Mata. I mean, please don't make a remake of this one, but... Watch could, it. Just they watch could it. Actually... It's recently restored. <laughs> Just watch, Just watch it. it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it's very timeless that you could, you know, you you could set it... um, You could send it on our present time and no one would know that it's actually, you know, something that happened yeah. in the past. And with the restoration that was done, which is a very good restoration, you feel like, oh... When was yeah. it made? <laughs> 82? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
you wouldn't yeah. even know because it's very good, very timeless, and and the story is very take you you know you can't. Uh, Yeah, you don't have to think about yeah. the time at all. Maybe the only difference would be technology because there were parts there where, where the father wouldn't answer the phone calls, right? That would be ref- that would um if you sh- maybe if you shoot that uh, during our time, the the technology would kind of um because why why doesn't he have a phone something like that? But it's it's timeless. Um. I agree with your choice. I think uh, Blink of an Eye is a better film. I am kind of jealous that Mike Dillian did this film and not me. <laughs> it was just so masterful. That kind yeah. of film, right? It's that, the kind um, of film that you wish you made. That you yeah. wish it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the kind of film that uh, your film professors would be very proud of you. Like, oh, you did it. It's our legacy. <laughs> Um, but yeah. uh, in terms of Oscar submission, I think I'm gonna go with Gold Silver Death. It shows mm. you the tremendous production in the film. Um, yeah. But a part of me thinks there is a world where they might not have submitted both, and they might have gone with a third film. That third film is Affair oh. or Relation. Uh, it's directed by Ishmael Bernal. It is about oh. um, a woman who is trying her best to maintain a relationship with a married man despite being the mistress mm-hmm. in the relationship. Um, I've heard that this was quite a breakthrough and representation of like adultery. Because it takes the side of the mistress, and stars Vilma uh, Santos. Uh, I talked about in the 1983 episode that because 1983 would be the year where um, Miracle would be eligible to the Oscars if it was submitted, but despite Nora Honor's uh, like all-time best performance, that performance. she wasn't the big winner that year in the awards the big winner in the awards is Vilma Santos for Affair um, this film feels very 80s that doesn't mean it's a bad thing I think it's mm-hmm. a very thoughtful exploration of adultery that the people involved in adultery are also human beings and the gray areas of compromise where the wife has to deal with the mistress in a civil way. The mistress doesn't have any right towards the the man when the man dies. She could not even go to the funeral. But this mistress is not a totally bad person. This mistress just wants to love. It just so happens that she loves a married man. It's a thoughtful film. And basing with uh, Blink of an Eye not being a box office hit, I don't know how Gold Silver Death did. They might have gone with Affair just because of the conversation about adultery. And, you know, our winner for foreign language film is also just about conversation, so it would not be... <laughs> um... 
a far-fetched thing. Um, I think it's a really wonderful. F- it's 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 kind of different from what Ishmael Bernal because the same year he did Miracle, vastly different films, vastly different lead performances. But um, this year you had three masters of filmmaking decided to create films this year. And uh, sorry, mm. but these films would be better than any of the nominees. Mm. Um, I would reiterate Gold, Silver, Death and Blink of an Eye are available on demand worldwide, I guess. So, Carla, after our conversation, yeah, uh, do you think Volvera and Pinar is a deserving winner of this category? Ooh. If we include our entries, are supposed to sure, be. Sure, can go there. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I. Uh, I like I like it as a film, but I'm not really sure that it should have won during those times. Maybe if if I were if I were to choose after. If I were to choose, maybe I'd choose Alfino. Okay. Um. Um. Or may or 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 does boot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I I am more leaning. I'm gravitated yeah. with those two compared to Volver. But I really like Volver as a film. Um, Volvera Epidar. I don't think it deserved to win. It's, it's, it's a, it's a nice film, but yeah. nothing special. Yeah, maybe because it's very, you know, simple. But here's the thing, I searched in the IMDb uh, reviews, and a lot of people actually love this film. Volver. Yes, Volvera Epidar. So maybe it's also a. I don't know a cultural thing. I don't know Volvera and Pedar's place in, in Spanish cinema film history, but, um, mm. I, I I I for sure there are people who would love it, and the Academy did because you know they gave it the win in '82, mm. and the same yeah. director writer was nominated in '84 and '87 for similarly styled mm. films. You know, old man mm. writer thinking about life, same almost mm. the same setup. And sometimes with recurring actors. Um, but I think this is the most successful of what he did with what I saw. Um, with that being said, I it it doesn't go anywhere near best for me. It's, it's a perfectly fine film that yeah. I think I kind of liked more because of the novelty that it's hard to find. Yeah. And we got to watch it. I'm like, oh, it's exciting to watch this film. What is it? <laughs> um so, uh, let's rank our nominees from five to one. What's your number five? Five is um the least I like. Yes. It's, oh, okay. Um. Ooh. Wait. Um. Maybe I'd go with private life. That's also my number five. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number four? Um, I'd go with. Wait, what films are? Oh, hmm. 
maybe flight. I'm kind of torn between flight of the eagle or coup de torsion. Hmm. Maybe I maybe there can there be interchangeable. No. Like that's my <laughs> third no, and fourth. <laughs> I'm not allowing you. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe I'd go with flight of the eagle. Hmm. <gasps> but I like the first half of it. Yeah. <laughs> my number four would be No, no, I'd go with Poop Detection <laughs> as my number four. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, are we good? <laughs> yeah. My number four is <laughs> I'm gonna switch it right now. My number four is Volver a Empezar. Mm. What's your number three? Wait, I forgot that we have that. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that film. <laughs> Wait, Girl, that in its own number. episode. <laughs> no, I forgot because we talked about it, so I forgot about being ranked. Oh my god, I I think I'd go with that as as my number four as well, and I have I have poop detorsion as my number three. Okay, my number three is Alcino and the Condor. What's your two mm. and one? My two is Flight of the Eagle, and my my one is Alcino and the Condor. My two is you know what? Scratch it. <laughs> my number four <laughs> is Alcino and the Condor. Mm. My number three is Volvera Empezar. Okay. My number two is Flight of the Eagle. Mm. My number one is Coup de Torchon. Coup de Torchon. Mm. You know what? This is kind of confusing for me because I keep thinking of Dazby. Yeah. Two to four <laughs> okay. are interchangeable for me, but I'm sticking with that ranking for now. Okay. Yeah. I forget how I rank it, but... Including us, uh, so your number one is Alcino and the Condor. My number one is Kudet Torshon. Yeah. Including Das, okay. which would win for you? I'll see. Uh, between Alcino and Das Yes. And uh, Das. I think Das would win. Yeah, I'm going with Das mm. Including Gold, Silver, Death, and Blink of an Eye. Which one do you pick to win? Oh, <laughs> but um, is this between Das Boot? Das Boot, Blink das of an Boot. Eye, <laughs> Blink of an Gold, Eye. Silver, Death. Oh no. I'd go with wait, as an Oscar entry, right? Or like my personal Your pick. preference. My pick. Oh my god. Uh, oh oh. I think oh I I think I'd go with Kisat Mata, but I really like I I'd go with Blink of an Eye, but I really like Oroplata. Mata. I agree. <laughs> I will also go with Blink of an Eye, even though it would not be my submission to the Oscars. I would submit yeah. Gold Silver Death. Yeah. But that's the only way um, I could 
reconciled because you know um gold silver death blink of an eye das boot or great films mm. yeah so, this is the hardest decision i made this week yeah. like between uh, like you know choosing between kisap mata and um oro plata that's the hardest thing i ever thought yeah recently so, sometimes it's exciting to be like oh, what could i choose because they're both great what would this yeah. year like, what could i choose between volvera and pedar and flight of the eagle and i'll see you like you really was like uh, i really want to choose kiss of mata but i don't think it it would win so i have yeah. to choose you know or a plata mata <laughs> yeah it is that's that's that that's the hard part of this category at the Oscars is that the best film isn't always the best submission. Yeah. Be very strategic about it. So yeah. Um, <laughs> with that, uh, Carla, thank you so much for joining me again. I, um, I'm so happy to have you back. I, I didn't expect it to be this film, but I'm so happy to have you talk to you again. Um. I was supposed to sing a song, but I forgot. Uh, oh, knock knock. Who's there? Das Boot. Das Boot. Who? Das Boot in mysterious ways, always so surprised. <laughs> I'm in the horizon. Um, Carla, thank you so much for joining me and staying up late with me, um, talking about these films. Um. Can you tell again our listeners where can they find you on the internet? Okay. Thank you. Thank you again for the surprise invite. Um, <laughs> people. Second surprise invite. <laughs> thank you for the second surprise invite. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed I, I I enjoyed watching them, but I enjoyed the first lineup, like the first guesting <laughs> that I had. Anyway, um people could search for me on Instagram, instagram.com slash I love these. Um, thank you, Carlos. I hope I hope I, I made sense tonight, even it's early in the morning already. It's already 3 a.m. as of the time of recording and we're not making any sense anymore and that's the way it goes. <laughs> um, you'll be back. You oh. will be back. <laughs> and the future seasons. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Carla Sohana. This podcast at One Inch Barrier. This podcast is everywhere. Um, again, this coming Sunday, Honeyland is gonna be the bonus episode. I got some really exciting conversation today. I promise it's really exciting, and it's the longest bonus episode. Oh my gosh! But um, again, I like to reiterate, reiterate, Gold Silver Death and Blink of an Eye are available on demand. So be sure to check that out. Um, again, Carla, thank you so much for joining me. I'm wishing you thank all you. well. And this is a goodbye for now. And together, let us break the one-inch barrier. I've searched the open